Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. forever to the King of Kings. Thank you, Praise Band, for leading us into this wonderful worship of our Lord Jesus. And uh, I hope you joined us last night when we did one-of-a-kind service, and uh, we're used to do it at uh, our agape feast. We used to have our foot washing because we have communion service. Last night we had our hand washing service, so I hope you enjoy that. Um, We uh, have come clean with the Lord, and I was telling Pam last night, I feel so good. Every time I have communion, and every time we have this unique opportunity to come. Of course, we should do this on a daily basis, but when you, when you have something of a visual illustration, such as the foot washing, or like we did last night, it really makes me think, go, I ponder, and I, I have a feeling that I didn't have before. So today, here we are to worship God on this uh, Easter weekend. And I'm glad that you joined with us. Uh, We're excited to be able to provide a service for you. Before I open uh, the Word of God and present the message that God has given me for this Sabbath service, I I would invite you to bow your uh, your heads one more time to pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for who you are the King of kings. You are the one who were with God from the beginning that are the same with God and that created this world with God and then you took human flesh and lived among us. And Lord, you healed. You did good. You provided food. You provided spiritual food. And we as humans were benefiting for all the good things you have done for us. Yet the sin that we have done have brought you to the cross. And you have died on that cross. Today, Lord... We are magnifying you and we're praising you because you are not just our creator, but you are our redeemer and you are our reason, Lord. Lord, guide us as we study again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I guess it's working now. Salvo 
Dacisto. Do you know Salvo Dacisto? Very few Italian heroes from World War II are well known in the English-speaking world. But surely the story of Salvo da Chisto deserves to be known. See, Salvo had a typical Nepalese uh, 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 childhood. He, poverty was common in the southern Italian city of Napoli. And so he lived with his seven siblings, parents, and grandparents in a single-room apartment. He left school at the age of 14 and enrolled in the Carabinieri, a unit of the Italian army which serves as police force. The first years of his career took him to Rome and then to North Africa, and then when war broke out, he was sent to keep order in a small town, a small village just to the north of Rome. It, he was on duty on the morning of September 23, 1943. He just attended church. He was coming out of the church service when he saw a group of SS soldiers, German soldiers. Their officer immediately refused Salvo's greeting, striking him hard instead. The Nazi officer informed Salvo that one of his own soldiers had been killed in an explosion in a nearby village. He suspected sabotage and he wanted revenge. The Nazis had chosen 22 local men from town and they would all be shot if Salvo could not find the man who was responsible for the suspected sabotage. Salvo had to watch as the innocent men, the 22 men, <clears throat> were made to dig their own graves. He tried to, condemn, to, to, to comfort the condemned men, and also he tried to reason with the Nazi officer, but to no avail. Eventually, Salvo thought, he confessed to the crime, saying that he had caused the explosion and he acted completely alone. Interestingly enough, and surprisingly, the Nazi officer took Salvo at his word, and the, two, the 22 men were released, and Salvo was to face the firing squad alone. He was shot later that night before the end of the day. Salvo put himself in the death's way and saved 22 men. The people of Israel had been delivered from the Egyptian slavery by miraculous acts of God. In the process, they've been spared of the plagues that fell on the Egyptian people. And they, just like all human beings, including us, over time, we have a tendency to become forgetful of what the Lord has done. Has done for them, has done for us. And not only forgetful, they became rebellious and stubborn. They formed what an inspired writer calls a deep 
laid conspiracy against the Lord's anointed leaders, Moses and Aaron. And the Lord decided to withdraw his protecting, protecting hand from them. The Lord said, fine, if you want to be on your own, go right ahead. But know this, you will not have my divine protection. And a plague has begun its work of death among the people. People were dying left and right by thousands. At the command of Moses, Aaron took the incense in his censer and went to make atonement for the people because they were falling like flies. They were dying. The story, you find this story in the book of Numbers chapter 16. The Bible says that Aaron ran into the midst of the people and he stood between the dead and the living so the plague stopped. My friends, Aaron did a heroic act. People spoke and rebelled against him, but he did not take it to heart. He ran where the danger was and stood between death and life, between the dead and the living, so that death stopped with him. And the rest of the people were saved. We can call him a hero. See, in my 28 years of American life, I've learned how to speak English. And uh, I've learned how to understand and make sense of slogans. Uh, I've heard this slogan many times. Uh, it says, you can tell a hero by the direction they run. This means a hero runs towards danger to help instead of running away. Aaron ran where the danger was and risked his life in order to save others. In number 16, Israel had so angered God that he sent a plague killing thousands in a matter of minutes. Moses and Aaron heard about this and the Bible says that Aaron ran out into the midst of the people and stood between the dead and the living stopping the plague. Can you imagine this? The dead on one side of Aaron and the living on the other side and Aaron standing between the two. What bravery. What selflessness, what heroic action to run to danger in a time of crisis. Today, our world is in a crisis. A virus has brought fear and uncertainty into every community. The reality is, we've been in the middle of a pandemic larger and greater than the one we face today. And it's been around for 6,000 years. Is, is the greatest pandemic ever. It is the sin virus pandemic. Do you know how many people this virus kill? Apostle Paul says, For all have sinned, and for short of the glory of God. And three chapters later, he says, and the wages of sin is death. 
So how many people die from the sin virus pandemic? All of us. Yet this fact is very much ignored and accepted. There is an interesting parallel between coronavirus and sin virus. I, I mentioned that uh, this uh, last week. See, sin started with one human being being deceived to think that it's okay to eat food that was not meant to be eaten. Coronavirus started with one individual who also thought that it was okay to eat food that was never meant to be eaten by humans. Sin virus started with one individual who brought it upon her family, and then it spread to the whole world. Coronavirus started with one individual, and then it spread to the whole world. Both sin virus and coronavirus created havoc from east to west, from north to south. And both sin and corona does not care about your race, does not care about your culture, does not care about politically, political status, doesn't care which side you stand, or it doesn't care about your social status or financial status, doesn't care how much money you have. The virus pandemic has one purpose, to destroy all human race. And I want to add that both of them are deceitfully invisible. You cannot see their presence. You only see its effect when it is too late. It is turning out to be a death plague. One that if left unchecked will kill all of us. Yes, Aaron stepped in front of the plague. But I know of another hero greater than Salvo da Quisto and greater than Aaron. I know of the hero with capital H who is selfless, fearless, humble, and self-sacrificing. His name is Jesus, my Savior and your Savior. My friend, there is a solution with capital S to the pandemic we've been battling for 6,000 years, and you may have been battling in your life ever since you know yourself. That solution is Jesus. He is the true hero the world needs. He stood between Life and death between the dead and the living, and he is alive. See, the Bible tells us clearly how it all started. I'm not going to repeat my sermon that I preached last Sabbath, how this virus of sin was introduced to our world. You can actually visit our church, and I put that on the screen because some of you may, not, may, may, may watch this for the first time. You can visit our website at friendlychurch.com, and under the Worship and Study tab, you find Sermon Archives. Or you can go to our YouTube. You may be on YouTube now watching us at Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church. And watch or listen to the sermon, Invincible Word versus invincible enemy. See, just like Aaron, Jesus was envied upon by the devil. 
when the devil was an angel of light, when he was called Lucifer, he envied Jesus. He envied Jesus because Jesus participated with God in creating the human race. And he wanted to dethrone Jesus from the Father's throne. He insinuated all kinds of falsehood about God and about Jesus and started a war against Jesus in heaven. Revelation 12 verses 7 and 8 says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. My friend, the word that, was, that, that began in heaven, which Revelation speaks about here in Revelation 12, 7 and 8, is not over yet. Yes, we know the outcome, but the devil is still at work. He is trying to deceive and kill as many as he can. Why? Because we, the human race, we are the jewel of God's creation. You and I are the crown, the masterpiece of God's creative ability. The Bible says that we were created in God's image in Genesis 1:26. Nobody else in his creation was created in his image. Humans were created in the image of God to represent God, to represent his character. And the devil will do anything, anything in his power to destroy us so that he will destroy God's character on earth. And he started this pandemic that kills everyone, the pandemic of sin. Now, God could have said, God could have said, you know, guys, you are down there. I gave you the freedom to choose, and you chose to listen to the serpent. Again, you find that story in Genesis chapter 3. You listen to the serpent, God could have said, the devil, and now you are dying. It's not my fault. God could have said that, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, the question is, when and where did God give his son for the world? It happened 2,000 years ago. When he came into the world as a babe, he took upon himself humanity. John 1 verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and, he, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He became a man, lived like a man but without sin, and died a shameful death on the cross. He suffered death, but he prevailed, and he is risen and alive. My friends, his tomb is empty. I want you to consider a couple of things today, this Easter weekend. Jesus is the hero who stood death in the face 
and he won. Jesus is the solution of the pandemic. And number two, I want you to consider the evidence, his empty tomb. The cross of Calvary is continuously preached by many pastors, preachers, evangelists, all year long, and especially on Easter weekends. And we, as Seven Adventists, preach on the Sabbath. We, since we don't meet on Sunday, we don't have that same urge to preach on resurrection, as Chris mentioned earlier. And they will tell you about his sufferings and his agony that he died upon the cross. And I don't want to take an ounce of that desire of what, what, what Christ has done for us on the cross. I am here to tell you this Sabbath that if all Jesus done for us was to die on the cross, then that was a wasted death. If he lived the life that we all have heard about and spent those years walking the earth and then died on the cross and the story ended there, then it had no meaning. You see, the death on the cross is meaningless without the empty tomb. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 12 to 19. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Please follow Paul's logic here. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes. And we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, they Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. I hope you see how important is the empty tomb of Jesus. What Paul is saying here is that without an empty tomb, without the empty tomb of Jesus, Christianity doesn't make sense. There is no hope after death. There is no, uh, uh, there is no lying there. Oops, I missed my pages here. And there is no hope at all. There is no hope. If there is an empty tomb, there is no life after death. And if there is no life after death, there is no eternal life. We're hopeless. And I want to make sure that this morning... We don't fall into the same track like other people do to not believe, to not believe. 
The reality is that his tomb is empty. While Abraham, Buddha, Muhammad are still laying in their tombs, Jesus' tomb is empty. See, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all recorded the event of the resurrection morning. You found that in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20. Matthew 28, verse 1 says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. I want to ask you a question. When do the Jews celebrate the Sabbath? Saturday. Luke 24, verse 1 and 2. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When does Christianity celebrate the resurrection morning? On Sunday. I just wanted to point that out to you in case you're watching for the first time and you're wondering why do these people worship on Saturday. We are Seventh-day Adventists and we keep the seven-day Sabbath. Because according to the scriptures, the seven-day Sabbath falls on Saturday. John 20 verses 1 to 8. Now the first day of the week, Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them, They had been taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter, therefore, went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Oops, sorry, I got myself concentrated here. This is what happened at the tomb. I don't know how I got two pages. Where are my pages here? All right. I wanted to read the last verse of this passage, John 20, verse 8. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also. And he saw and believed. I underlined believed. He saw and believed. 
Do you believe that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead? There has been a story that told that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, but had just blacked out, and that after getting him down from the cross, his disciples brought him out of it, and he lived a life after that. Do you, do I believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead? I like what Max Lucado says referring to the grave clothes left behind. He said, if friends had removed the body, they surely would have taken the clothes with it. If foes had taken the body, would they not have done the same? If not, if friends or foes unwrapped the body, would they have been so careful as to dispose of the clothing in such an orderly fashion? But if neither friend nor foe had taken the body, who did? See, this led John to his discovery, and he saw and believed. When Peter and John heard from Mary that the tomb was empty and Jesus' body was gone, they were not only surprised, astonished, and curious, but they were in unbelief. What happened? And as they ran to the tomb themselves, they were in unbelief. Are you, am I, in unbelief about the empty tomb? John 20, verse 9 says, For as yet they did not, they did not know the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Jesus told the disciples what was going to happen, but for as yet, they did not understand. What about you today? Isn't what happened to the disciples the same thing that happens to us? We lose trust and hope. When the possibility of hope speaks to your heart, do you ultimately say, no, couldn't be true, never mind. May I suggest that we do that because we don't as yet understand God's revelation for our lives. God speaks things into our lives that we cannot possibly seem to understand. Things like an empty tomb. Have you ever wondered about the stone itself? The words in Greek imply that not only had the tomb just been opened, but that the covering had been lifted up and carried away, removed completely, in other words, from the opening. In fact, it is the same Greek phrase that was used by Mary to describe what she thought had happened to Jesus. My friends, think about this. The stone was not removed so that Jesus could get out, but so that the disciples could get in. Why is the empty tomb so important? Because it is an undisputed evidence. It is a testimony for those who have a hard time believing. 
John Warwick Montgomery, he wrote a book called Faith Founded on Fact. He's a Christian lawyer and apologist. And in that book, he carefully laid out all the evidence for the resurrection. And upon presenting the facts, he said that there is no competent jury in the world who would rule that the resurrection did not happen. Why? Because the resurrection is very well documented historical event. It happened. Jesus arose from the dead. The empty tomb is so important because it gives hope and it builds faith. Max Locato in his book, Six Hours, One Friday, tells the story of a missionary in Brazil who discovered a tribe of Indians in a remote part of the jungle of Amazonia. They lived near the river, and the tribe was in need of medical attention due to a contagious disease that was ravaging the tribe. People were dying daily. Well, there was a hospital... There was a hospital not too far from them, but it was located across the river. And the Indians would not cross it because they believed it was inhabited by evil spirits. They thought that the river had evil spirits in it. To enter the water would mean certain death. The missionary explained how he had crossed the river many times and was unharmed. But they were not impressed. He then took them to the river and placed his hand in the water. They still wouldn't go in it. He walked into the water, into the river, up to his waist and splashed water and splashed water on his face. It didn't matter. They were still afraid to enter the river. Finally, he had an idea. He dove into the water, he dove into the river, swam beneath the surface until he emerged on the other side, and it was then when he punched a triumphant fist into the air and said, I went into the water and I escaped. It was then that the tribe cheered and followed him across the river. See, Jesus knew that he needed to do it himself first, that we too can have hope in the resurrection, so that we too can have hope in the life after death. My friends, we are in the middle of the sin pandemic that is about to kill us all. However, a solution has been discovered 2,000 years ago when Jesus came out of that tomb on the resurrection morning because of the evidence of the empty tomb, because we have a risen Savior who conquered death. You and I have hope today. Amen.